Shalom Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk, part two of the power of the tongue and communication. A mission statement answers three questions. What do we do? For whom do we do it? And what's the benefit? A vision statement, on the other hand, describes how the future will look if the organization achieves its mission. A mission statement gives the overall purpose of an organization, while a vision statement describes a picture of the preferred future. So as we do this here at Congregation Zion's sake, what is our prophetic vision? Congregation Zion's sake is called to share the good news of Messiah Yeshua to the Jewish people of Hampton Roads, Virginia, and around the world. So our vision is to see Israel saved. Our vision is to hear Israel say, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai. Our vision is to see Jew and Gentile come together as one. Well, how will we carry this out? How do we get there? Well, we'll reach the Jewish people through the love of Messiah by revealing the Jewish Messiah to them by bridging the gap between today's believers and their Jewish roots and biblical heritage. Gentiles will come into their prophetic destiny, their maturity, and provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, according to Romans 11, verse 14. So this, how we're going to get there, that's it. And what do we want it to be? We want to see Israel saved. It's that simple. That's our vision. Our mission is how we're going to get there. And so this must be communicated. This comes out weekly through messages, even through Kadima talks, through our Facebook lives. We're habitually talking about this. I believe it's where God's heart is burning right now in this area. He's seeking to bring about the revival of his people so Yeshua can soon return. It's actually a hindrance, it says, until all things are restored. And Israel says, Baruch HaBashem Adonai. How do we get to this place? By communicating, by communicating, by communicating. You know, it says on average, and this is why you see so many repetitive commercials on TV all the time, it takes 10 to 12 to 14 times to hear and see something for it to sink into your kishka, to get it into your mind. And so you have to be repetitive in our communication and say it again and again and again for people to get it. It's important. Communication makes change effective. Things are always moving in the kingdom of God. It's always in a state of growth. Things are always changing. The God of Israel is forever moving. The minute a congregation, a minute of mystery, anything becomes static, it's no longer moving. It's immediately outside the presence and will of God. Those who work together must change together and pursue the cloud uh, by day or the fire by night. Change is always more palatable in smaller degrees. It's easier to take than radical dynamic change. We are not called to live a static life. Rather, we are commanded to bend to God's will, which requires daily change. This daily change results in personal growth with the Lord. Responding to God involves change that we may go where he is leading. The Bible is a progressive book that's continually unfolding before us. Our Bible is the only oracles from God that has past prophecies, current prophecies, and prophetic future prophecies that have, are, and will come to pass. No other religious book in the world contains these sort of things that we have today, and that's forever changing. To remain intimate with God and not become stagnant requires us to continually seek Him, to constantly change and go to the next level. It's an ongoing process within each and every one of us. Why do so many believers today fail to respond to change as God directs? Well, this is where motivation comes in. Some lack motivation, the desire, or the will to change. Matthew 18, verse 3 said, And yes, I tell you that unless you change 
and become like little children, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, it says, I'm not writing you this to make you feel ashamed, but as my dear children to confront you and get you to change. People naturally loathe change. People want the good old days. They want their congregation, their services to be the way it used to be. And change makes people uncomfortable. Yet God wants us to habitually change on a daily basis to slay and crucify the flesh every day and recommit ourselves unto him. A quote by Harold Wilson, he who rejects change is the architect of decay. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. Next, they desire to change but can't let go of the past or the familiar. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19, stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I'm doing something new, verse 19. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I'm making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. John F. Kennedy said, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. So we can't even, Yeshua said, those who look back aren't fit to put their hands to the plow. We must always be straining forward, looking forward to see what God is doing, to see the change and to change with it, to move with that cloud, to move with the pillar of fire by night. People don't change because they're not intimate with God. They're estranged from his will and his desires. This is really critical. So many people today aren't hearing the voice of God. They're really, truly not intimate with him. I've read so many statistics over the last several uh, uh, years of how far away from God people are really straying. Apostasy is at an all-time high. People are no longer committed. I'm talking about believers are no longer centered upon the direct uh, word of God. In Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, it says, at that, may, at that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. Truly, this is a word for today. We're so divisive, polarized in our politics and in our society. We have civil and racial unrest. Everyone's hating everybody. Liberals hating uh, conservatives. Conservatives hating liberals. And it says, at that time, many will be trapped. Now, get this, hate is a trap. It's a snare of the enemy. Many At that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear and fool many people. And many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. Nomium. It means literally Torah, the word of God. In many translations, this is put law, uh, but increased distance from Torah, anomia, which means without Torah. So people, therefore, are estranged from God's will and desires because they don't know his word. If they don't know his word, they're not intimate with him. This is why they fail to change. People fear change or they don't want to change because they're too comfortable. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We are to be vessels of change, sharing the kingdom and espousing change everywhere we go. Be reconciled to God. Hashivedu means turning and being restored. The root word of that is teshuva, which is to turn from your sins and turn back to God. That itself is the most critical change we have to do as individuals in coming into the kingdom. Next, people fight change because it affects them personally. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15, but don't consider him an enemy. On the contrary, confront him as a brother and try to help him change. Change has to be understood from the kingdom perspective. God declares that he is the potter. 
We are the clay. We must be willing to be changed at the potter's hands. He will create what he desires, and us as clay, we don't ask the potter what he's making. Let him do his work. Let him change you and mold you into the person he desires that you be. Isaiah 64, verse 8, but now Adonai, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter, and we are all the work of your hands. It says in Numbers 13, verses 30 through 31, Kalev silenced the people around Moshe and said, we ought to go up immediately and take possession of it. This is the promised land. This is after the 12 spies were sent out. He said, there's no question we can conquer it. Ten men had come back with a negative report, if you remember. Verse 31, it says, but the men who had gone with them said, we can't attack these people because they are stronger than we are. Listen, they didn't want change. They didn't want to go into that promised land. They didn't want to have the confrontations. They didn't want to go to battle. It cost us 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That entire generation perished and died in the desert. Why? Because they wouldn't change. You could take the people out of Egypt, but you couldn't take Egypt out of the people. Change is an easier pill to swallow when it's presented as a simple refinement of the way we've been doing things rather than something completely new or different. This is so critical when people are first coming from Christendom and coming into Messianic lifestyles. Just take it bit by bit, season by season, holiday by holiday, precept by precept, jot by jot, tittle by tittle. And over time, you see this transference and this profound transformation. But to do a knee jerk and all of a sudden you're going right, now you go left, it's much harder to swallow and do when it's brought forth like that. When change does come, and it will come, it must be clearly communicated, and it must be brought forth with the correct motivations. Now, we've, we've just been talking about why people resist change, but now when change comes and you communicate it, either in your work setting, your business, or congregation, people will fall into a couple of categories. We've got innovators who are adaptable, and they see what's coming, and they're the originators of whatever's new, and they're open to change and new ideas, but they're not always the acknowledged leader. This often comes from somewhere else in the organization. I consider myself a part-time scholar of revivals, and I've studied the last 500 years of revivals and outpourings of God, and it's amazing to me is, A, every person that God used were thrown out of their denomination, their organization, they've been thrown out of their congregations, locked out of their buildings. What God, listen, when God moves, someone sees it coming, but the previous who are in receipt of God's previous move, they immediately become jealous and say, nope, that's not of God. And so they've become static. They're no longer moving with the fire. So God brings someone new, uses them, but the new wine requires what? New wine skins. So they have to come out of that previous organization and able to be able to do what God is telling them to do. So you've got the innovators, those who hear it. We have many of these in the Messianic realm who have come out of general Christendom in the church in the last 25 or 30 years. They're the innovators of what God is doing and moving forward in this hour for the restoration and preparation for the Messianic Messianic reign in Yeshua's return. After you've got the innovators and they're moving forward, you're going to have three adapters. You're going to have an early adapter and those who know and understand what God is doing and they will immediately follow you. There's always a handful of people who clearly see this and they're like, I'm in, I'm in. You see this in the business realm. 
when there's new inventions, the first people that caught on with CDs from uh, cassettes and eight tracks, and the next set of people who clearly saw the vision for MP3 files and where we're moving in the digital age. But you still got people who hold on, and uh, and they're they still want their old cassette tapes. They they don't want change. But you've got their early adapters, that those who know and understand when they see it and they're ready to move. Then you've got the middle adapters. They're the majority. They'll respond to what's coming when the leader or the circle of leaders in one accord, when it's clearly communicated to them, when they can see the vision and mission, if you will, they can see the writing on the wall, they will follow the flow. And this Messianic restoration, we're actually coming into this season right now. And it, it, it amazes me to see churches, shofars, sounding or sounding the shofar, keeping Shabbat. They're celebrating the feast. This is happening. That was impossible. We never thought we would see this just 20 years ago. But now as this vision has been effectively released, people see it. They see the tenets in the scripture. They're reading their word. They say, listen, what these Messianic guys are talking about, this is truth. Now we've got the majority starting to follow and concurring what God is doing in this hour with this Messianic restoration and revival. Then lastly, you've got the late adapters. They're the last group to endorse the idea. They often speak out against what's changing, and and they may never acknowledge and accept the change, but eventually, grudgingly, they'll follow along. And, uh, And you see some good examples of this. We had the charismatic outpouring in 1967 through 1973, directly connected with the restoration of Jerusalem back into Israeli hands. Whenever something happens in Israel, prophetically, according to God's word, there's a spiritual outpouring. When Israel became a nation, May 14, 1948, we saw mass waves of revival. We saw the tent revivals uh, surge around the world and across this country. Then when Jerusalem was restored, we got this charismatic outpouring. And at first, the mainstream evangelical denominations push back hard against that. Yet here we are over 50 years later, and what do I see on some billboard signs of traditional evangelical denominations? Spirit-filled worship, contemporary second service, contemporary worship. These are the late adapters. They, they don't acknowledge that outpouring of the Spirit, but they're beginning to do it in their congregations. And lastly, you've got the laggards. They're always against change. Their commitment is to the status quo, to the past. They want things exactly the way it was 50, 80, 90, 100 years ago. They often bring a spirit of divisiveness into the congregation or the organization. They want to overthrow and thwart that change. They don't want it. So as we see from all this, to be in the forefront of change, we have to effectively communicate what is happening in this hour. It's got to get out to the people. Listen, you have to teach and share and show through the scripture what you're doing. Because as a shepherd, if you don't, if you lead, the sheep will follow. If you stand behind and push, the herd will split and you'll be standing in the middle by yourself. We have to have effective communication. It's got to be done wisely. We have to be careful of the words we choose. And it's got to be done with the right motivation. Change isn't just a change, but we must change and transform ourselves into a kingdom spirit-filled likeness of Yeshua that is a 
kingdom of God is always unfolding. It's always moving. We are moving with it. If you're not moving with the kingdom, you're stagnant, and the presence of spirit of God is leaving you. It's so imperative to not get caught up in static life, to become apathetic and complacent, but to be hungry and desire that move of God, to desire the cloud, to desire the pillar of fire, and to keep pressing in and follow God at all costs. This must be communicated down to the people, to the congregation. Once they understand, then they will follow you and you will have a supernatural army that's pushing back principalities and strongholds of darkness and bringing the light into this darkened world, snatching souls from the fire and establishing the kingdom of God here upon this earth and souls will be saved. Communication is is effective when it's done correctly, biblically, and is done often that people understand where you're going and why. Mishpokah, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.